Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 139. We consider this psalm today as our preparatory with a view to partaking of the Lord's Supper next Sunday morning. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand, when I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The text we consider is verses 23 and 24, the last two. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.
In the last two verses of this psalm, beloved, we find a seemingly strange prayer. Strange, we might think, because this very same psalm begins with these words, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. And the rest of the psalm is really one beautiful song of praise to God for his omniscience, his attribute of knowing all things in the universe. The psalm is a song of praise to God as the one who knows everything that there is to know, who has the most perfect and comprehensive knowledge, and who also has a very penetrating knowledge of us. The psalm goes on in verse 4, There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. But if all that is true, if God knows everything about me, he knows all of my thoughts, all of my words, all of my actions and ways, because, as the psalm goes on to say, God is the one who fearfully and wonderfully made me, when I was in my mother's womb, when I was not even yet fully formed, God fashioned me. He fashioned all of my parts, all of my organs, the shape of my body, when I was just a little one inside my mother. And if God has these precious thoughts and he knows everything about me from the inside to the out and the outside to the in, then why does the psalmist end with this prayer, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. It must be obvious to us from the very beginning of the sermon that the reason for this prayer is not that God does not already know everything about me. That's not why we make this prayer. This is not an invitation for God to search me in order to find what he does not already know. Rather, this is a prayer for God to search me and to know me according to what he already knows about me in order to make it known to me. That's the idea of the prayer. In order to show it to me, in order to show me who I am and what I am and what lies within me. We are going to consider this prayer today for preparatory, and I present this to you this afternoon, this prayer of our text, as a guide for your and my self-examination in the coming week. 
When we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, we always conduct a week of self-examination because in 1 Corinthians, the apostle calls us to examine ourselves and in that way to come to the Lord's Supper. The problem is, the problem always is, that we cannot properly examine ourselves. We are not able properly to give a spiritual inspection of our own hearts and lives because of our fallen, sinful, depraved, proud natures. Because of our sinfulness, whenever we search, whenever we examine ourselves, what do we find? We always find goodness, and only goodness, if we look into our hearts and into our lives. If we would examine the way that we talk, the way that we think, all that we would ever find if we examine ourselves is that we always do everything perfectly. We always do everything rightly. If we search ourselves, we do not see any sin. We justify our sin. We excuse our sin. We cover it. We deny it. We blame others for it. But we don't own it. We don't take responsibility for it. We cannot rightly examine ourselves as we are, by nature, sinners. Do you not feel the difficulty every time we have preparatory and we hear the call to self-examination? Do you not feel the tremendous difficulty of examining ourselves? I confess that I feel it every time. It is not easy to search ourselves, to examine ourselves, and to do it properly in the light of God's word. And yet, as believers, we want to do that. We want to be able to search ourselves. We want to be able to examine ourselves. We can't, but we want to do it. We want to do it rightly, because we want to know what is in us. And that's why we make this prayer. He can do it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. So let's consider the text with that in mind, a prayer for God to examine my life. Notice, first of all, we're praying for a searching of my heart. Secondly, an examination of my ways. And thirdly, a desire for the way everlasting. Do we know what is inside our hearts? Do you know what is inside your heart? In the text, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. My heart is the deepest well of my soul. My heart is the very center of my spirit. My heart is the seat of all of my deepest convictions, all of my deepest beliefs my deepest values, my deepest affections, my deepest longings, my deepest hopes, those all spring out of my heart. My heart is the wellspring of my soul. If you peer down into that well of your heart, you find that it's very deep. It's a very deep well. And it's very hard to understand our own heart. How many of us 
really understand the ins and the outs of our own hearts? How many of us really understand the deepest motives and thoughts which drive our behaviors? Do you? Do I? God knows. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. He knows everything about your heart and my heart and everything going on in there. And that's why we are taught in the text to pray, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And the idea is, And bring up into my consciousness what lies there in the dark depths within my heart, so that I might know it too. Do we know our own thoughts? We are taught to pray in the text, Try me and know my thoughts. We could translate, examine me. That's also the idea of the word. Examine me, scrutinize me, inspect me, and know my thoughts. Do we know our thoughts? Our thoughts are the ideas, the purposes, and the plans that rise up out of our heart, that rise up out of our deepest beliefs, our deepest values, our deepest affections. Those are our thoughts. Those are closer to the surface. Those are a little bit more well-known. But do we understand all of our thoughts, all of our reasons for doing what we do and feeling what we feel and saying what we say? The original Hebrew word, for thoughts in the text, can be translated anxious thoughts or disquieting thoughts. Examine me and know my anxious thoughts, the psalmist prays. Do we understand our anxious thoughts, our disquieting thoughts? Do we understand why we sometimes feel anxious, why we sometimes are disquieted, Why we sometimes feel cast down? Do we understand what is going on in that swirling mixture of emotions and fears, confusion and concerns that can sometimes take place inside of us? The psalmist cries out, Examine me and know my thoughts. God knows exactly the reasons for your thoughts, your anxious and disquieting thoughts too, because he knows everything about you. He knows exactly what they are and why they are. And so we pray, O Lord, let me know my thoughts. Will we make this prayer? Will we make this prayer for God to search us and to know our hearts, to examine us, and to know our thoughts. If we make this prayer, beloved, then we must understand what the prayer is. We must understand, first of all, that this prayer, if we make it, is not a challenge or a dare to God. This is not the prayer of a defiant, arrogant man who thinks that he has no sin within him, a man who then dares God to search him because of a foolish and vain confidence that God is not going to find anything in there. 
That's not what this prayer is. It's not a man who is willing to look up into the face of the all-seeing, all-knowing God and challenge him to search his heart, to examine his thoughts, because he believes that he has hidden his sins so well that even God can't find them. That he is a master of disguise. That he is not only able to disguise his sins from other people, but he can even hide his sins from God's penetrating gaze. That is not the prayer of this text. It does not arise out of that kind of thinking. You can imagine a child doing that, or a young person. A child or young person has his cell phone, and he believes that he has never done anything wrong on that phone or tablet. Or he believes that the things he has done wrong on there, he has hidden up and covered up, and mom and dad will never be able to find it. And so he turns over his phone to mom or dad and dares them, search my phone, examine it. I dare you to look and to find anything in there that is wrong. And then the child boastfully challenges his parents. That's not the idea of this prayer. When the psalmist, David, writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart, that's a humble petition. A very humble petition of a soul who knows that he is a sinner, who knows that he has sins within his heart, but who also knows that he doesn't know all of the sins that are in his heart. It is a humble spirit who knows that there are sins of which he is ignorant. There are sins in his heart to which he is blind. There are sinful motives, sinful affections, sinful beliefs, sinful desires, and patterns of thinking. He knows that. They are there. He knows it. But he also knows they're below the threshold of his consciousness. They're hiding. They're lurking in the secret caverns and chambers of my heart. I know they're there. But I can't pinpoint them. I can't lay hold upon them. I can't find them, but I know they're there. Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Examine me and know my thoughts. Because I want to know what's in there. This arises out of the same spirit and attitude of the one who wrote Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Secret faults. What are secret faults? Those are the faults. Those are the sins, the subtle sins that hide, that lurk, that crawl through the dark places of our hearts, but that are the motivations for some of the things we do and some of the things we say. Search me, O God. Make known to me what is in my heart. Make known to me my thoughts and the reason for those thoughts. That's the prayer. Will you make that prayer? Will you utter that prayer to this all-seeing, all-knowing God who already knows what is in your heart and your thoughts? If you make that prayer, 
if you make it part of your personal devotions, and I will even add, if during your personal devotions you make this prayer with sincerity to God, and you take out a little journal, and you take some notes of self-examination, the Lord is going to show you what's in your heart. I guarantee you he will show you. In the way of making this prayer, search me, examine me, O God. Let me know what is in there. He's going to answer that prayer. He's going to tell you what's in there. He's going to show you. And if you would write in that little journal for one month, and you would keep track of your thoughts and your desires and your motives, as God reveals them to you, you'll come to know yourself better. If we are going to make this prayer, beloved, we must understand what it means. Are you ready to make this prayer? If you don't understand what the prayer means, maybe you will think that you are ready. But if you understand what it means, then you must seriously ask, am I ready for the Lord to show me what's in there? God will answer that prayer. You might not like what he says. In the way of making this prayer, sincerely and genuinely before God, coming into the presence of God and standing before the throne of this great majesty, this all-seeing and all-knowing God, and asking him to search me and to make known to me what is in my heart, he might tell you, I see unbelief in there. Unbelief. I see in the dark recesses of your heart that sometimes you question whether I even exist. I see there in your heart that sometimes you wonder if I'm really good. You doubt whether I'm just and fair. I see unbelief in there. I see that you turn your eyes away from my son whom I have given to die on the cross for sinners. And you wonder, you doubt, you question whether he is really your savior. God might tell us, I see fear in your heart. Lots of fear. Fear that is rooted in unbelief. Fear of man. Fear of death. Fear of hell. God might tell you that he sees that in your heart. And he might tell you that ought not to be. And he might remind you, believe in me and believe in my son, Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. And lay hold upon him by faith. If you make this prayer, beloved, and you make it sincerely, To God, he might tell you things you don't want to hear. He might say, yes, I have examined your heart, and I've found anger there. Anger, lots and lots of anger. I see in your heart anger towards specific people in your life. I see you harboring anger toward them, and bitterness, and resentment, whether it's your wife or your husband or your parents or your children. Or someone in your life. God might tell you that. And God will tell you that ought not to be. You ought not to be angry towards them. 
you ought not to be bitter against them. If you ask God to search your heart and to know it and to make it known to you, he might tell you that he sees the lusts, the sexual, perverse lusts of your heart. He might tell you that. God might tell you, I have seen what's inside your heart, and it's rotten sexual perversity. That's what I see. He might tell you that. I see you looking at women who are not your wife. I see you looking at men who are not your husband with sexual desire. If you ask God to search your heart, he might tell you, yes, I've examined your thoughts, and I see a lot of ugly covetousness. I see there in your heart that you're coveting your brother or sister in the church. You're coveting their life. You're coveting their possessions. You're coveting their job. You're coveting their wealth. You're coveting their experiences. You're wishing that you had their life rather than your own life. You're not content with the life that I've given you. He might tell you that. If you say, search me, O God, and know my heart, he might say, yes. I've looked and I've examined your motives and I've found that one of the reasons you do the things that you do is greed. Filthy, despicable greed. You're a greedy person. You love money and you want lots of it. You want more of it. Or God might say, I see in your heart a lot of love for the world. You fasten in your heart. You fasten onto worldly things. You fasten onto worldly treasures and entertainments and things which take my name in vain and things which promote and glorify sins and things that I hate. I see that in your heart. Or, if we ask God to search us and to reveal the contents of our heart, he might tell us, I see a lot of pride there. God might say, I have found in your heart that you think you're better than other people. That you esteem yourself very highly. That you think of yourself spiritually better than other people. God might even tell you that he has seen in your heart that when you were listening to that sermon last Sunday, you were very glad for that sermon because you thought it applied very well to many other people, but you didn't see how it applied to you. God might tell us that. And so you can see that making this prayer, we must make it with understanding, and we must understand what we're asking, because God will answer it. If we ask this prayer sincerely, he will tell us what is in our heart, and he will tell us what are our thoughts and the reasons for them. Are we ready for that? We must be ready for that. We must always be ready for that. And if we are not, then let us humble ourselves. But there's more. The psalmist goes on in verse 24 to add this, and see if there be any wicked way in me. See if there be any wicked way in me. There the psalmist goes on to speak of his ways. He first prayed about his heart. Now he prays about his ways. That's taking it a step further. 
It's one thing to pray and to ask the Lord to search and to reveal to you the contents of your heart, your thoughts. That's all inside. Nobody else knows about that. Only you know about it and the Lord. But then if you go on and say, and Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. That's taking it a step further. Our ways are our actions. Our ways are our behaviors. Our ways are the things that we do, that we constantly, regularly, habitually do. And those ways, those ways of life, arise out of our hearts and out of our thoughts. They are the fruit. They are the results of the thoughts and motivations that lie within us. If we pray, Lord, search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me, then we're asking the Lord also to show us if we have any wicked habits, any wicked behaviors in our lives, our ways. We have many different ways. In a sense, we have one way. That's the way of our whole life. It begins when we are born. It ends when we die. That's our way. We're all walking on our way. But on that way, there are many other ways. There is the way of my personal and private life. The things that I do when nobody else is around or nobody else is watching. The things that I do my way in my family life. The things that I do and say with my husband or my wife and my children in the home. There is my way of life in the workplace. The way I behave there out in the world. There's my way of life in the church, the way I behave in the presence of other Christians. We have many different ways that are part of our one way. All of our ways had a beginning, they have a progress, and they have an end, as do all ways. Ways always begin with point A, and then they proceed and end in point B. The psalmist is asking the Lord to search him and try him to see if there be any wicked way in me. Any wicked way. Wicked ways end in hell. That's where wicked ways lead. The scriptures are very clear about that. The Apostle Paul, for example, says that any unchaste person, an idolater, an adulterer, and so on, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That way leads to hell. And so the psalmist is pleading with the Lord to see if there be any wicked way in me. Now the word for wicked in the original Hebrew means literally hurtful or painful or grievous or perhaps offensive. That's the idea of that word. And that's true of wicked ways. Wicked ways are hurtful ways. They are ways that hurt other people. Almost all wicked ways, in one way or another, hurt other people. Wicked ways are offensive to God. God cannot be hurt. But wicked ways are offensive to him. They are grievous to him. Wicked ways also are hurtful to us. The thing about wicked ways is that we think those ways are going to give us pleasure and make us happy, but they don't. They always hurt us. 
They always make life grievous. And so the psalmist asks, See, O God, if there be any wicked ways in me. Are there any wicked ways in your life? Are there any wicked ways in my life? And are we prepared to ask the Lord to show us what those wicked ways are? Then once again, let's understand very carefully what we are asking and make sure that we are ready by God's grace to make that prayer. If we ask the Lord to show us if there are any wicked ways in us, he will show us. And if he shows us, then he also commands us to change and to repent. Lord, search me and examine me and see if there be any wicked way in me. The Lord might say to us, yes, I see a few wicked ways in your life. I see that that unbelief and that doubt that is in your heart produces wicked ways, wicked behaviors. I see that that wicked anger in your heart causes you to yell at the people around you, causes you to say hurtful things to people. It causes you to curse and to swear at people when you get angry. The Lord might say to you, I see that that bitterness inside your heart is causing you to walk in the wicked way of withholding love from the people you should be loving. Withholding good from those you should be doing good to. God might tell you, I can see that that wicked lust, that sexual perversity in your heart is leading to the wicked way of looking at pornography or watching other sexually perverse things or doing other sexually perverse things. God might tell us, I can see that that envy and that covetousness in your heart toward your brother is causing you to speak evil against him for no good reason. You simply envy him, so you speak evil of him. God might tell you, I see that, and that's a wicked way. God might tell us that love that you have of worldly things is producing the wicked way, that you prioritize your life around those wicked, or around those worldly things. When you turn on your television, I see that you have a wicked way there with your television. When you listen to music, I see that you have a wicked way there in the music that you choose to listen to. When you open up a bottle of alcohol, I see that you have a wicked way there in how much alcohol you drink. I see that you have a wicked way with your money and how you use your money, that you hoard your money, and you're a miser. I see that you're mean and abusive to other people with your words. Are we ready for that kind of examination? We must be. That's the prayer. Remember, we're not asking God to look for something that he doesn't already know. He already knows all of it. He already knows all of my wicked thoughts, all of my wicked desires, and all of my wicked ways. 
but we're asking him to search us and make it known to us because we want to repent of it. We want to change. We want to turn from those wicked ways. Very seriously, beloved, if we're not ready to make this prayer and we're not ready to change from our wicked ways, then we're not ready to take the Lord's Supper either. Let a man examine himself, the apostle says, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. It's in the way of examining ourselves humbly and sincerely. And since we cannot really do this, I'm presenting to us this text that we might make this prayer that the Lord will examine us and that he who knows us will make us known to ourselves that we might humbly confess our sins and cry out for mercy. Left to ourselves, as I said in the introduction, when we examine ourselves, all we're going to find is goodness. I know that from my own experience. I'm sure you know that from yours. When we search our lives and we examine ourselves, we are prone to think that we have everything together. There's nothing wrong with my thoughts, there's nothing wrong with my ways. That's why we have to pray. Search me. Search me, O God. Search me. Examine me. You tell me what's wrong with me. And finally, lead me in the way everlasting. And that's the final petition of the text. Lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is Christ. The way everlasting is Jesus Christ. Lead me to Jesus Christ and lead me in Jesus Christ to everlasting life. That's the prayer. This is the way everlasting. This is not a way that is temporary. This is the way everlasting. This is not a way to everlasting death and hell. The psalmist would never pray that. This is the way of everlasting life in heaven. And that way of everlasting life is Christ. He is the way truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by him. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in Christ Jesus. That's the prayer. Jesus Christ is the only man who has ever lived among men who could be searched and examined by God in the depths of his heart, in the depths of his soul, in all of his motives and longings and affections and convictions, and be found to be holy, righteous, 
pure, godly. A man who loved God. A man who loved his fellow man. He is the righteous one. And that's why he is the way everlasting. From the manger of Bethlehem to the cross of Calvary, throughout the whole of his life, he lived a perfect, stainless, righteous, holy life. Christ is the way everlasting. Standing between his manger and his resurrection was his cross. And it's Christ who gave himself to be crucified for sinners like us, gave himself that his holy, pure, stainless heart should be broken, being forsaken by his God, forsaken by his Father in the darkness of hell on the cross because of our sins. That's Christ. He is the way everlasting. There at the cross, his righteous way culminated in a sacrifice of love for us. He laid down his life for us on the cross so that we would not die everlastingly, but live, live, that we would have everlasting life. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me to the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. Make that your prayer so that I might cling to Christ, me who has come to know myself as a poor, wretched sinner who is not even able to examine my own heart. I'm so proud and so stubborn. I can't even break through all the structures of denial and excuses and justification. Be merciful to me. There at the cross, we will find sweet forgiveness for all our sins and powerful grace to change. And then this prayer takes on a whole new meaning. Then we make this prayer once again. Search me, O God. We make this prayer as a believer in Jesus Christ. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me and know my thoughts. And make known to me that I am one of thy precious children. Make known to me that I am a believer a true believer, that I truly belong to that Christ. Make known to me that I'm not like the wicked, the wicked, thy enemies, that he speaks of in the previous verses. Make known to me, though I'm just like them by nature, thou hast separated me Thou hast incorporated me into Christ. Thou hast done a mighty work in my life. Thou hast changed me. Thou hast regenerated me. Thou hast worked in me. And I do love thee. That's our prayer too. Make known to me, O Lord, my integrity. Make known to me 
but I'm a believer. Make known to me that thou hast made me a worthy partaker of the Lord's Supper. Thou hast made me that. I didn't make me that. That's the prayer. Are you ready to make that prayer? Let a man examine himself. That's what the apostle says. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We can't. Make this prayer. Pray. The Lord will search you and examine you and confront you with your sins and mine. Don't be afraid to be confronted by your sins. And let us humble ourselves. Let us confess our sins, cling to Christ, and resolve to forsake them and to live a new and godly life. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks for thy word. We are thankful that it is a sword, a two-edged sword, that pierces even to the dividing apart of soul and spirit, and is a judge of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We pray, O Lord, that thou wilt search us this coming week, that thou wilt examine us, make known to our hearts our sin, but make known to us to our Savior, and make known to us that we are true believers in him, and that we have a true resolve to walk in a new and godly life.